morning, Joe. Happy birthday. <laughs> nice to be here in Bramford and visit with you folks again. And uh, I see you're a little short on kids running around, so if you need, we can send you some. But you don't need. <clears throat> My wife, Ruth, is here with me and... For those who might not know, uh, my name is Jack, and I'm from, we're from uh, Waterbury Christian Fellowship. So we don't get down this way very often, but it's nice to see you have the Lord's work well in hand here. And uh, <clears throat> we're going to look at the passage in 1 Kings, so if you want to find that in your Bible. I understand you've been going through the book of Samuel, Samuel's. And uh, studying the life of David. How long was that anyway? A few months? Good. Glad to hear that. These consecutive studies are very helpful, aren't they? Um, topical ones like the life of a famous Bible person or book studies. Very ha- helpful. And we're going to uh, just go through the last will and testament of King David, and that will be in 1 Kings chapter 2, and I thought it'd be nice just to take a minute at the beginning, because I know that a few of you pray for us and share a little bit about what we're up to, and um, maybe encourage you to pray for us as the Lord puts you on our heart. We're doing well at Waterbury, quite a bit of growth up there. In fact, when we go away traveling, we come back, somebody I never saw comes up and says, welcome to our church. (laughs) We just uh, finished our sixth cycle of the speaker training that we run every few years. We had seven young men and uh, all graduated, did a great job. It was a thrill to sit in the audience uh, a week ago and hear one of them, a military guy, give a stirring message on spiritual warfare. And um, just outstanding. And so we're thankful that uh, the Lord is bringing along men who can open the word and feed the flock in a quality way. And then um, I'm still working on the the little paper for elders, elders shop notes. And uh, it has a pretty good growing circulation in South America. In fact, I've been in correspondence with a an elder in one of the assemblies in Cuba, and he's sharing it with uh, assemblies in Cuba. My Spanish is not the best, so I'm glad for these online helps that uh, help me figure out some of his hard words. But I'm getting better. I hope what I write them makes some sense. I've been doing a, a little series there on aliveness in the church. What is aliveness? It's kind of a word we're using to describe a church that's alive, and we know there's churches around that are fading out and dying, and what makes the difference? And so we've been considering that together, and I'm just thrilled at the fact that, you know, people have their traditions and their beliefs and all the rest, but in the end, the truth wins out, right? The truth wins out, and it's amazing to see churches who don't know anything about our kind of groups or the way we meet or our traditions, and yet by studying the Word of God, they are saying, you know what? The Bible says church leadership should look like this. Oh, really? Good. And uh, so we have a little publication for them to help them grow an understanding of what are elders and what do they do. And then I'm also involved in the National Workers and Elders Conference, and we move around the country, and uh, this coming year it's in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're going to study the book of First Peter, and uh, we try to encourage assemblies to send a representative, a whole bunch if you like, but somebody to come and uh, share in that good work, Raleigh, North Carolina. And then the only other thing I'll mention, uh, Ruth and I are hosting a little study for young women in our home. And uh, they're not just any young women, they're young ladies that have had serious challenges in their marriage or um, some kind of 
difficulties and just getting them together around the word and yet letting them open up and share. That's really good because uh, little by little they get comfortable with with you and with one another and uh, they they look forward to that time and and uh, we're so glad that the Lord could provide that. So if you pray for those things and then of course the perennial request that we all have and that is our health and uh, no more need said. All right, let's read in 1 Kings chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his ordinances and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whatever and wherever thou turnest thyself. That the Lord may continue his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, if thy children take heed to their ways to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, thou knowest also what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me and what he did to those two captains of the hosts of Israel, unto Abner, the son of Ner, and unto Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he slew and shed the blood of war in peace and put the blood of war upon his belt. That was about his loins and in his shoes that were on his feet. Do therefore according to thy wisdom and let not his gray head go down to the Sheol in peace. But show kindness unto the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be of those that eat at thy table. For so they came to me when I fled because of Absalom thy brother. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite of Behurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Mahananim. And he came down to meet me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with the sword. Now therefore, hold him not guiltless, for thou art a wise man. And knowest what thou oughtest to do unto him. But his gray head bring thou down to Sheol with blood. So David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years. And seven years reigned he in Hebron. And thirty-three years reigned he in Jerusalem. So let's just take a moment now and, and look to the Lord. Father, we're grateful whenever we can read together in the scriptures and know that these things are there for our learning. We ask for thy help this morning. Please, um, please speak to our hearts. May thy Holy Spirit find fertile, good ground for the word to fall into. And we look expectantly for the fruit that will be the result. So we ask that the Lord Jesus would be glorified this morning because it's his word that we honor and we honor him. We give thanks in his precious name. Amen. Um, this is called or was called by the uh, folks here at Bramford when uh, I got this request, the last will and testament of David. And... Um, Verse 1 tells us that the time came that David would die. And it made me think of that great verse in Psalm chapter 90 that asked the Lord to teach us to number our days, right? Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. It's amazing how, although we know the scriptures and we read them and learn them and are taught them, um, somehow we get the idea that our days are different than their days. And uh, we don't take that command seriously to number our days. What does that mean? Um, well, we're going to look at a passage this morning that sees the last days of one of the great men of the Bible, King David. And um, 
Maybe the Lord can help us to think about numbering our days as we look at this passage. So I want to do three things this morning. I want to take a few minutes and give a quick overview of the life of David. I think that's important at the end of a series on a person like David, a quick overview of the high points. And then uh, secondly, look at the passage that we're, we read together this morning and see what lessons we can learn. And then thirdly, at the end, I'd like to offer a couple of uh, maybe applications that I would think should encourage our hearts out of the life of David we could take away with us. So those will be our, our three things that we'll do. So a few words about the life of David as a whole. Um, you know that David is called in the scriptures a man after God's heart. And if you're a believer, you want to know what God's heart is like. And so studying the life of David is interesting because there's some things that you read there and you say, well, wow, that's God's heart. Then other things you read and you say, I don't think God's heart is like that. <laughs> but the Bible doesn't hide the weaknesses, does it? Uh, we, we really get the real David. And, um, and yet God says, this is a man after my heart. And so he's not a man without sin. He's not a man who's blameless. Not a man who's perfect. We can identify with David, can't we? And... Um, Many would point to Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, as their favorite psalm. And uh, I think it's very interesting. If you really think about that psalm, it's the shepherd boy who becomes the king. And Psalm 23 is David's little autobiography of how the Lord led him in his life he says things at the beginning like, um, he leads me in the path of righteousness. He leads me by the still water. He makes me walk this way. He makes me lie down. But then, I mean, that's a shepherd boy. But then you, you, you move to where he's the king. He anoints my head with oil. And he's not just the king that has it easy, but he's a king that has enemies in the presence of mine enemies. And so in one little quick psalm, David kind of capsulizes his life from watching the sheep out in the field, nobody, to the king. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I'll be okay. The Lord is my shepherd. And so after uh, his shepherd boy experience, then we find him uh, getting involved with Saul, King Saul. And there's all those great stories about Goliath, and I'm sure you studied that here. And um, David gets an education in what it means to be king. And it's shaping him as he's watching Saul's strengths and weaknesses. He's playing music in there. And then he becomes the son-in-law of the king, and he's getting closer to the kingdom. And he's in the court of the king, and he's watching the affairs of government. How the nation is run. And he's learning. And I'm sure he's developing his own little philosophy of how do you lead a nation of people. Led sheep and faced dangers. And now we're leading a nation of people. And um, the time comes when Saul is finished. And David is anointed king. And now he becomes, and it's not, doesn't happen quickly, right? It, it takes, it takes, it's a process. First he's anointed privately by Samuel, and then the men of Judah accept him, and some time goes by, and then the men of Israel finally see the writing on the wall, and they accept him. That's pretty much the way it is for leadership, isn't it? Um, you would hope that People in God's assembly would look at a man and be unanimous and say, there's a man that God has raised up to be an elder. Everybody says amen. And it's not like that, is it? It takes time. And some have protests and whatever and grumble. And, but finally, God makes it clear and all uh, see it. And that's the way it was with David. 
And so I'd like to just share with you very quickly the three, what I would say, life accomplishments of David as a man. Now, I've been really, I've been really blessed by thinking about this little short list of David's life accomplishments. They really show us what was in his heart. You could see that David was a man with his faults and his problems, that all his life he had a heart for God. And I look around an audience like this and I think to myself, there's people in this room right now that have that kind of a heart. They have their problems, their difficulties, but they have a heart for God. And that's thrilling, isn't it? A heart for God. Even some of the children, some of the young people, they just have that heart for God. I am the Lord's. I'm going to follow him. I'll trip and fall. I'll bruise my knees, but I'm going to follow the Lord. And if you're a mom or dad and you've got one of those and you're encouraging them, what a joy it is to your heart. What a joy. They're just simply not going to follow the world. And David was that kind of a man. So his three I would say biggest lifetime accomplishments. Uh, first of all, he returned the ark or he brought the ark to Jerusalem. Um, the ark was the symbol of God's presence. It was in various towns and cities. It was captured by the Philistines and it was here and there and everywhere. But David understood that there needed to be a capital a capital city and he understood that God loved Jerusalem and he he took that city and he brought the ark and said, this is where the ark needs to be. That's a major accomplishment of David's life. And then secondly, David had a desire to build a temple. Okay, if, if this is God's city, there needs to be a place for God that is beautiful and magnificent and the joy of the earth. I wish... I wish every one of our saints today had that kind of a heart. That God's things need to be at least as nice as my things. I was telling somebody the other day, I was in a chapel one time, and I noticed that some of the doors on the cupboards were falling off. Now, I'm a handyman. I love tools and I love to fix things. And normally I just scramble right up and, and do that. And I said, you know what, this time I'm going to watch. And see how long it takes. I, I want to tell you that it was, not years, decades, decades. In fact, the last time I checked, a couple of them are still not fixed. But you go to the home of some of the brothers there, you know, and oh, well, look at, you know, this little chip of paint, I had to get right on that, and the lawn had some dandelion, we couldn't have that, and everything's manicured and purpose, but the Lord's things, eh. And David said, it doesn't sit right with me that I'm in a cedar home and God's ark is in a tent. It just isn't right. I have to build something for God that's more magnificent than where I live. Can you imagine if every one of the saints had that attitude today? What would happen to the work of the Lord? Wouldn't that be amazing? Your lawn is a mess, brother. Yeah, I'll get to it, but first got to go over and take care of the Lord's place, the Lord's work. That, that'd be first. I'll get to my stuff later. Ooh, that'd be a revival, wouldn't it? So, uh, secondly, the building of the ark, and then associated with that would be, of course, the Davidic covenant, where the Lord looks off into the future and speaks about the prophetic future program that he has. He says to David, you're going to build me a house? Correction, I'll build you a house. Let me tell you about it. Davidic covenant, fascinating. And then thirdly, of course... The third great accomplishments of David's life, and many would say the greatest of all, and that would be the Psalms, the Jewish hymn book, the Psalms. And uh, what a thrill it is for a growing Christian to read through the Psalms 
and uh, how many of them were read and quoted here just this morning. Lord's people have always loved and found comfort in the Psalms. And well, we should. If you take those three things, just what I've mentioned here, the bringing of the ark to Jerusalem, the building of the temple, and the great covenant, Davidic covenant, and the Psalms, and look at them and you say, that's awesome, that's amazing. But then when you read the life of all the other kings, all the other kings of Israel that ever followed, whoever could rise to that as a king? No one. No one. Not even Solomon with all his money and all his wisdom has a list of accomplishments like that. No wonder then that David is chosen by God to prefigure our blessed Lord. Right? He is, he is David's son. And you look at all three of those things and you say, the Lord Jesus, he has the heart for God's work and God's people and God's name and God's praise. And so he will do in a greater way what King David did in his life. So that's a little overview of the life of David. And now we come to uh, the end of David's life. And it's interesting because you might think that the end of David's life would be something really um, showy, spectacular, uplifting, maybe a big celebration or, or whatever. And what we've read together this morning, um, well, <laughs> it's, it's not that, certainly. Um, in verse 1 through 4, we have his challenge to Solomon, his son. And in verse 5 through 9, truly last words, we have some old business taken care of. I'm leaving, so uh, we have a few things that didn't get taken care of. And uh, here you go, son. You could take care of this. Goodbye. And David's last word there in, in verse 9, this individual Shimei says, Bring down his gray head with, uh, to the grave with blood. Kind of a solemn ending for a great man, isn't it? And um, all right, so let's think about those two things then. First, verse one through four, his challenge to Solomon. Now, I see in this passage that we have read today, I see, um, <clears throat> I see maybe a an overview or a capsule or a, a, a quick illustration of the greatest strength and the greatest weakness in David's life. And so in verse 1 through 4, I, I think we see the greatest strength that David had. And what is that? Well, if you turn in your Bible back to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, and just kind of keep your place there for a minute. Um, look at the charge that David gives to his son Solomon. Now, remember two things. First of all, David is at the end of his life. He's, he's, he's going to the grave. It's, his life is over. And he calls in his son that he loves. And he's given him the final words of charge. Keep that in mind. Secondly, keep in mind that um, I guess we tend to forget that David did not turn to Romans and Ephesians and the Gospel of John and all of that. Um, he didn't have a lot of the things that we have, even some of the Old Testament, much of the Old Testament. What really did David have to read for a Bible? Well, he had the books of Moses. Right? Joshua and Judges. And maybe that's it. That was David's Bible. And when you read some of the Psalms where he extols and loves the law of the Lord and the word of the Lord and statutes and the commandments of the Lord, and you think, David, <laughs> most of the good stuff wasn't even written yet. We have it. 
And look at how David loved the Lord, the, the word of the Lord. So let's look at, let's look at what he said. He charged Solomon his son saying, verse two, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong therefore and show thyself a man. Notice the first thing he says to Solomon, be strong. Turn to Joshua chapter one, verse six. Here's Moses telling Joshua as he gets ready to take over, be strong and of good courage. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous. You think David ever read that? <laughs> of course he did. That was a big part of his Bible. And David knows that when Moses, the man he loved and looked up to, gets to the end of his life, and he charges the young man that will follow. He says, be strong, be strong, be strong. And so he says to Solomon, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong. David was contemplating um, what Moses said. And then in verse 3, look at what else we, we have here. Verse 3, keep the charge of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways to keep statutes, commandments, ordinances, testimonies. Sounds like Psalm 119, doesn't it? As it is written in the law of Moses that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest. Notice that word prosper. Solomon, there is a connection between your faithfulness to the, and attention to the word of God and how you will prosper in your life. Have you told your young people that, moms and dads? There is a connection between, we're not talking about prosperity movements here now. We're talking about a life that prospers for God. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then shalt thou make thy way prosperous. Then shalt thou have good success. You see, David has been meditating on the passing of, passing of rule from Moses to Joshua, and he's following that. My son... Pay attention to the word of God, and then you will prosper wherever you turn yourself. And then verse 4, also part of the charge, that the Lord may continue his work, his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your children take heed to their way and walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee a man on the throne of Israel. Go back to the book of Genesis for a moment. David loved Moses and looked up to him. And he also loved and respected Abraham, Father Abraham. And I believe this verse was on his mind as he said what he did to Solomon. Genesis chapter 18. <clears throat> and start in verse 17. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Now notice verse 19. For I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Beloved, let me charge you this morning not to miss the significance of that one Bible verse. Look at it again. God says, I know him. He'll command his children and his household. They will keep the right way of the Lord and do righteousness and justice. Now notice this, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Abraham didn't say, well, God says he's going to do thus and thus and thus so I could just relax. It's going to happen. God said it. He didn't say that. He said, I need to charge my children, my household, to keep the way of the Lord and to do what's right. Why? In order that God may do what he said he's going to do. If we could get hold of that one spiritual principle in our lives, it would change our lives. 
I look in the Word of God to see what God says I should do, and I do that in order that God may keep His promise to bless me and help me and protect me. And so often the thought is, I'm looking in my Bible for verses to comfort me, that God will bless me and help me and protect me, but we skip the first part. You understand what I'm saying? Do what God says in order that he may... Now, let's go back to 1 Kings and see what David says to his son. Verse 3, keep the charge of the Lord in whatever is written. Verse 4, that the Lord may continue his word, which he spoke. You see what he's saying here? He's saying exactly the same thing that, that God said about Abraham. Do what is right, be obedient to what God says, in order that the Lord may continue his word, saying, if you do the right thing, I'll bless you. So we need to be very careful that our kids are not growing up in an atmosphere where they see, we have a theology that you're the Lord's people, do whatever you want. God will bless you, just have a nice time, do whatever you want. You can skip the meetings, be short on your Bible reading, don't worry about prayer, um, compromise your holiness in your life, and all these other things, and don't worry about it. You're God's children. He'll bless you anyway. Oh, that's, that's not really the message they need to hear. The message they need to hear is do what is right, serve the Lord, pay attention to the Word of God, and I know that's why you're here this morning, right? Learn the word of God and please the Lord that he may bless you. So that's the charge that, uh, that, God, that uh, David gives to Solomon at the end of his days. Now, obviously, the great strength, and that's why we turn back to Joshua and to Genesis, the great strength of, of David was he was a man of God's word. Um, he was a man who loved the word of God. All his life. That, I would say that would be the great strength of David. A man who loved the word of God. But then in verse 5 through 9. Um, and we're not going to reread it all again. It has to do with Joab. The captain of the forces. He shed innocent blood. And uh, Solomon you need to. You know what you need to do with him. And Barzillai. Uh, who is a friend of mine. And he. Supported me in, in Absalom's rebellion, so so uh, take care of him. And then at the end is this man Shimei who cursed me, and uh, I, I swore to him I wouldn't I wouldn't put him to death. But now you're on the throne, you know what you need to do, and uh, <laughs> and you know that brings up I think what would we could say was David's greatest life weakness, and that is David's. Real weakness was discipline. He, he struggled with discipline. And this is a good word for leaders in the assembly. And this is a good word for parents raising kids. In fact, this is a good word for anybody who's in, it, in authority that justice is tough. And we see situations in the Lord's work where... Justice needs to be done, but you have those wonderful people who have mercy gifts around, and it's like, oh, but poor so-and-so. And and so reconciling then mercy and justice, grace and being walking in the truth, that's one of the hardest things that leaders could do. Recently, we were down in Florida for a wedding, and uh, we were there for a few days at a place that uh, a whole bunch of Christians had gathered, and they asked me to do a devotional in the morning. And uh, I, I just felt led to take up some great Bible words. Each morning, we looked at a different word early in the morning. They had a nice pool there, and we all got our coffee and got around it. We had a nice hour in the Word every morning. And one of the, one of the words I wanted to look at was grace. And uh, I gave the people a talk on, on what grace is and what grace isn't. And we, we spoke about 
such a thing as cheap grace. Do you know what cheap grace is? Cheap grace is if we all go out to a restaurant and have a nice dinner and I say, folks, I want you all just to eat up, have whatever you want, have a nice dinner because Joe's going to pay. I'm being gracious to you, but it doesn't cost me anything, right? He'll pay. Now, if I say, have whatever you like because I'm picking up the bill, that's real grace. So God's Bible talks about grace, real grace. And whenever you study that word grace, always ask the question, who pays? Now, by God's grace, we're saved and we're not going to have to pay for our sins. We're saved by the grace of God. But God didn't say, look, I'm God, you sin, don't worry about it. All my sins were laid upon him. Jesus bore them on the tree, right? That's real grace. So we need to get in the habit of asking, who pays? And where? And one girl came up to me afterwards. She gave me a big hug. She said, that was an awesome study. You know what I learned this morning? My whole family was raised on cheap grace. <laughs> and her mother was standing there and she said, it's true. So, um, now we come to the end of, of, of David's life, and uh, there's things that he just hasn't been able to deal with, and discipline was hard for David. He had trouble disciplining his troops. If you study his life and some of the things about his troops, he certainly couldn't deal with Joab, who, who shed innocent blood. Well, I didn't do it. He had trouble disciplining his sons. Read that whole business with Absalom. Then the other son with, with the sister Tamar. You know that story. And Well, not too bad that happened. And uh, <clears throat> In fact, even in the choice of Solomon, he doesn't say, well, you know, pretty soon I'm coming to the end and I better get Solomon on the throne. Let's have a nice coronation and make sure the whole nation knows. He had to have his hand forced by Bathsheba and Nathan to do it. And, and, oh yeah, okay, well, we have to do it today. Why? Because somebody else declared himself king already. <clears throat> and certainly the matter with Bathsheba, right? So, discipline was hard for David. And if you're going to be a man or a woman of God, you have to make up your mind right away that doing the right thing is not always going to be easy. You're not always going to have a lot of people come up and say, I'm so thrilled that you made this decision that goes against me. (laughs) Um, You'll have enemies. If you're in leadership, you have a target on your back. And uh, it can be painful. And sometimes people's Rejection of your stand can last for many years. You have to give it to the Lord. Love them and give it to the Lord. But it's not easy to lead and lead righteously. But you know what? God loves it. That should be reason enough. God loves it. And every time you do that, take a hard stand and do the right thing, you are an example of, of the Lord Jesus Christ who took a hard stand and did the right thing and went to the cross. Do you need more payment than that? The love of God that you're like my son. We talk about being conformed to the image of Christ. The Lord Jesus was a good leader. And if you take a hard stand in your family, in the church, among your relatives, at work, wherever, Do the right thing. You need to know that God is pleased with that. God is pleased with that. And so David comes to the end of his life and he says, Well, Solomon, here's some some old business that I I didn't really get to. Um, I I think you better take care of this. And then you go over into chapter uh, 3 and 4 and you find out that Solomon, in fact, did that. And it's interesting, when you read the account of how Solomon did the hard thing and brought justice to these individuals, in each case, 
We won't look at it now, but there's a little line that says, his kingdom was established. His kingdom was established. And so often, families and churches and governments are not established because somebody is more interested in being popular than in being just. So I just leave that with you this morning that maybe that would be one of the great applications we could draw from our study this morning to look over our lives and think to ourselves, um, where might I take a stand for righteousness and justice? You know what, if you do that and your young people see that, wow, does that have an effect on them? Mom or dad always want to be popular, always want to be everybody's friend, except when God said something. And then they said, you know, we love you, but we simply need to do the right thing here for God. Um, That's one of the reasons why I, I, I want to follow the Lord. Because mom or dad did that. And that was meant more to me than all the preaching in the world that they could give. So that's some thoughts about our passage for today. And then a few minutes at the end here, I'd like to share with you uh, a couple applications that we might take away from the life of David. Um, I was thinking about scriptures and things in David's life that meant something special to me. And I thought probably that would be the best thing for me to share with you. Um, not necessarily what great commentators or great preachers or anybody else might have said, but something that was really important to me. And I'd like to share with you three passages, and then we'll be done. If you turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, now I know this is going to require some uh, what John Monroe calls flipping. <coughs> we call him John the Flipper. and uh, But that's all right. It's good to look up Bible passages and read them for yourself. Um, Acts chapter 2 and um, verse 25. And Peter is giving his great message on the day of Pentecost here. And something that he says, he's, he's speaking about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And he's explaining about the resurrection. But in the middle of that little talk on the resurrection, he quotes from one of the Psalms, one of David's Psalms. In verse 25, he says, For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Just think about that verse for a minute. David speaks concerning the Lord, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. Now, where would somebody be if they were in front of your face? They'd be right here, right? So David said, in effect, To me, the Lord is always right here. Whatever I'm doing, he's here. But then he says, he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Where is somebody if they're on your right hand? Well, they're here. So David, in effect, is saying, here's how I live my life. The Lord is here and he's going before me. And he's here, and he's looking over my shoulder at what I'm doing. I'm surrounded by him. Now, turn to Psalm 40, where this is a quote from. You notice how it started. David speaks concerning, I foresaw the Lord always before me. Well, look at Psalm 40, where David... Psalm 40, or I'm sorry, not Psalm 40, Psalm 16... Hopping all around the place here. Psalm 16. Psalm 16 and verse 8. This is where he's quoting from. See how it's worded? I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Oh, that's a little different, isn't it? I have set the Lord. So this is a choice. It isn't just the Lord comes and says, look, you have no choice, friend. Uh, This is where I am in your life. No, no. David says, I have set the Lord there. That's why David is a man after God's heart. He is before me, and he's looking right over my shoulder 
on my right hand. Um, that'd be a good thing for us to think as we go to work or deal with one another, wouldn't it? The Lord is that close and he's watching my choices and my attitudes and my actions. <clears throat> okay, um, let's turn over to Psalm 57. Psalm 57. <clears throat> if you read the inscription of this psalm, by the way, that is in the Hebrew Bible inspired. That's not something your Bible put in to help you understand. That's verse 1 in the Hebrew Bible. To the chief musician, Al-Tesheth, Nictam of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. <clears throat> now, you remember that story? In First Samuel, David goes in the cave with his men. They're running for their lives and they're hiding in the cave and they hear Saul coming. Must have been a big cave. Because David had his troops there and he goes into the sides, <clears throat> maybe some crevices or maybe big rocks, I don't know, but maybe some little side rooms. But they go in there and they hide and Saul and his army comes in, uh, take a rest and whatever. And, and David's men said, you got him. He's surrounded. And they even say, this is what the Lord promised. The Lord said he'd do this. Now let's get out there and we can kill them all in a second. And uh, you know the story. You probably studied it. They didn't do that. But look what he says in Psalm 57. He's fleeing from Saul. He's in the cave. Verse 1, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful unto me. He's crying out for God to be merciful to him and spare him. And look at verse 4. <clears throat> My soul is among lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue is sharp sword. Many people think this is Saul's troop that's after him. That's not what David's referring to here. He's speaking about his own guys. And he says, I lie among them that are set on fire. So there they are in the cave and they're at night they're laying there and he's hearing these guys talk. If we ever got our hands on Saul, what we would do? <laughs> what we would do to him? He says, they're set on fire, the sons of men, their teeth are spears and arrows, their tongue is a sharp sword. David's listening to what his guys would do if they ever got Saul. Then he comes in. You can just imagine what they're saying to David. <clears throat> you blow this one, we'll wonder about your leadership. David said, no. I was going to go cut a little piece off his, his arm, his his robe, all. The Lord has got to deal with them. I'm not taking vengeance. What a beautiful thing, right? All right. First Samuel, our last one, First Samuel chapter 30. Another favorite one of mine. First Samuel chapter 30. Do you ever get discouraged? All right, so this is just me, right? Well, bear with me. But if you do, <clears throat> you probably enjoyed this. So David comes back to the city of Ziklag, 1 Samuel 30 and verse 1. And the enemies, the Amalekites, by the way, who Saul spared, have come and invaded Ziklag and burned it with fire, taken the women captive and just plundered it and burned it and they come back and there's nobody there and it's just ashes. And it says in verse 6, David was greatly distressed. I would think so. For the people spoke of stoning him. We went away. We left the city with all our belongings, our houses, our wives and everything we own. We come back. It's all burned to fire. We've been following David. We just need to get rid of him. 
It says, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. And look at this last line. But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Do you know how to do that? Now, if you've been saved for more than three years, you ought to know how to do this. And if you don't, we're going to look at how you do it right now so that you will never again have to be discouraged and not know what you do. And don't make it too complicated because it's not complicated. Just turn over to Psalm 13, and I could have picked a whole bunch of Psalms, any one for this, but Psalm 13 I picked because it's short and our time is done. So we'll just look at this. Psalm 13, verse 1. How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long will I take counsel of my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O God. This is the, the, the words of a very discouraged person. And look at the end. Verse 5. I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because what? He has dealt bountifully with me. That's how you encourage yourself in the Lord. David simply goes over the past and says, let me just stop and think of all the times the Lord has delivered me and helped me and blessed me. And as you do that and begin to thank God for what he's done in the past, the mood changes. The whole tone changes and the Spirit of God says, that's right. That's right. He did that. And you're right to praise the Lord. And you know what? Did he bring you all this way, drop you now? No. And David says, I don't know it's going to work out, but I'm going to sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's better than pills, folks. Now, don't throw away your pills. I didn't say that. But just, just be sure that this gets some part in your life because the Lord can work this way. So, um, great man. Man with God's, God's kind of heart. And great lessons to learn from it. And thank God we can enjoy it now. But remember, these things are written for our learning, right? They're written for us. And so let's, let's just pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for thy great mercy and grace to us. And it's not cheap. And forgive us, Lord, when we lead others with cheap grace. Help us to be willing to pay the price to be gracious. We thank Thee for our Savior, the Lord Jesus, who paid the price to be gracious to us. So bless and help us now, and may this word, uh, this study of the life of David, bear fruit in the saints. That would be a good way for us to show the Lord we're so grateful for the time we could study this together each week. We thank Thee in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.